Welcome to all of you here this morning, and a special welcome to those of you as well who are watching us online this morning. Uh, if it's your very first time here, my name's Dave, I'm the lead pastor here, and we are super grateful that you've uh, made the decision to come and start your day out with us. Join us here at Connect. Um, I, uh, I was thinking this week about what I want to speak on, and it took me back to a story from Christmas time. So I'm going to take you back to the Jane household around Christmas time. I don't know if uh, your family's like this, but one of our family traditions each Christmas is to get a new Christmas puzzle, uh, Christmas puzzle, a jigsaw puzzle. So Casey, my wife, she goes online, she'll pick a, uh, a picture, and uh, uh, the box arrives, and uh, as things kind of slow down over that Christmas week, uh, we clear the big table in our dining room, and the puzzle gets poured out there, and we start, uh, the, the whole family's there. It's a big family gathering. We get together. We start separating the straight bits from the middle bits. And uh, uh, as always happens, maybe in your family with the puzzles too, like bit by bit, like people start to like get really bored really quick. And then eventually it's just Casey in the room by herself assembling this uh, jigsaw puzzle. And uh, it takes days to put together. So we'll, uh, we'll stop in, you know, throughout the few days over Christmas and we'll put a couple of pieces in. But when you first start out, it's such hard work. There's so many pieces and it's so hard to put together. But, but um, what normally happens is the closer you get to finishing it, the more exciting it gets. Because now it's getting a little bit easier. There's only so many places these extra pieces can go. Uh, the end is in sight. And uh, typical, uh, what happened this last Christmas happens often. We're down to the wire here, the last part of the puzzle. So then I show up and I want a piece of the action. So I'm here because I want to be there when it's finished. Emma, my daughter, she shows up. So we were all in the dining room together uh, on this uh, particular afternoon. And we are down to like just maybe 20 pieces left and it's get excited because we're going to be there when the puzzle is finished and we get closer there's like maybe uh, five or six spots left but I look around and I can tell looking at the table there aren't enough pieces for the holes in the puzzle so I start getting a little anxious I'm like Case I, I think we're missing some pieces here she goes are you sure so we look around we can't find any I was like Case there's definitely some pieces missing and then suddenly I'm like you know I know Casey I know my wife I was like Case do you have a piece? She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, you have one of the pieces, don't you? She goes, maybe. <laughs> and in her pocket, she'd, who knows, days, weeks before, she'd put this piece in there. So when it got down to the very end, she could guarantee that she's the one who gets to complete. No one else is going to complete this puzzle. She's going to get to finish this puzzle. So we get all the pieces done, and we finish, and there's two spots. So there's the piece she's got and another piece missing. We get down on our hands and knees. We're looking everywhere. Uh, Emma's helping to look. And then suddenly I realize, you know, the apple didn't fall too far from the tree. I said, Emma, do you have a piece? She goes, what do you mean? I was like, Emma, have you got? She goes, maybe. And Casey's like, Emma, put your piece in. She goes, no, you put your piece in. And we had this standoff right there in the dining room where neither one was willing to put their piece in because they both wanted to be last. And I'm like, guys, come on, just put. So I'm like having to be the officiator, the referee. And finally, I came up with this piece deal where I said, okay, I'm going to count to three. And on three, you're both going to put the piece in exactly the same time. You can kind of put it right down so it clicks in and you can both be the ones that finish. They're like, okay, we agree to that. And then as Emma goes to put her piece in, Casey reaches across and slaps it and goes in and she goes, ha And Casey gets to put the last piece, which was fair. It's her puzzle. But um, 
I'm like, what is it with this competitive spirit? But the truth is, I think if we're honest with ourselves, every one of us, to some extent or another, we have a little bit of a, a competitive spirit inside of us, don't we? Where, you know, if we're um, heading towards the, uh, the door somewhere, you know, the grocery line, and we see someone coming the other way, they've got a bigger cart than ours, we kind of step up our face a little bit, we want to get in the line before them. We've, we've all got that little competitive edge to us. And the truth is that spirit is great if you're an athlete or uh, something similar to that. But in relationships, it can be challenging, can't it? Because it doesn't matter if you're competing in the Olympics or you're just simply playing ping pong in your garage, okay? Uh, that's, that's fine to have that competitive spirit. But when it's the relationships get involved, when you start to get um, into like trying to outdo one another in a relationship, that can be problematic, and we've been talking over the last few weeks about emotionally healthy relationships. Talking about some of the things we can do in our lives to help make our relationships a little bit stronger. Because every one of us, we have many different relationships in our lives. You may be married here this morning. You have a relationship with your spouse. Maybe you're a parent. You have a relationship with your kids. There are your neighbors, your friends, people in your neighborhood, people you work with. We, we have all sorts of relationships and every one of them brings their own set of challenges. And I've got to be honest, over the last few weeks, as we've been talking about what we can do to help better our relationships, I think we've come across some really practical, helpful ideas that I think anyone could follow, whether they're a follower of Jesus or not, and see their relationships grow stronger. But what I do want to reiterate this morning, and I've said this a couple of times before, if you're here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus... I don't think we have a choice in the matter. I don't think we get to pick or choose. I think if we're followers of Jesus, this is something that we should do. And here's why, because our founder, Jesus, who we are aspiring to be like, he said this to his disciples when talking about how we should relate with one another. In John 13, verse 34 and 35, he says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. A new here, the word literally means unusual or, or an unexpected commandment. I'm giving you this new unexpected commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. This is what the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be famous for, the way we love one another, the relationships that we have with one another. Our community should look on and see a group of people who behave differently than those outside of the church because of our, our emotionally healthy relationships. So I think as followers of Jesus, this is something that we should really try to aspire to do better in, in our lives with the help of him. So over the last few weeks, we've been talking about some real practical uh, things we can do to, to help enhance, to help strengthen our relationships. We've talked about the way we speak to each other. We've talked about the conflicts that we have with one another. And last week, we talked about the narratives we tell about each other. And I want to close out this series this morning by talking about the posture that we have towards each other, the posture that we have toward one another. And here's what I mean by that, okay? This is, this is really kind of the rubber hitting the road on this week's talk. 
You see, we've talked about the language and how we should speak to one another. We've talked about not holding grudges. And we've, we've also talked about, you know, controlling the narratives in our mind when we tend to put people in boxes and treat them differently because we, we've kind of created this narrative of who they are or what they're like. But once we've kind of worked through all those things, I think there's one final thing we can do. As followers of Jesus, there's one final thing we can do. It's a concept, a principle, just, just a single word so that if we grasp this idea and we put this into our lives, we use this as like a, a lens through which we filter all of our relationships through, I think it will really help us to see and experience much more healthy relationships. I was thinking about it this week. There's, there's hundreds of different ideas I could have come up with, hundreds of different words we could have landed on for how we should treat one another. But I think if we use this word, it becomes like a foundation for every other element of our relationship to be built upon. If we just do this thing first, we'll find it changes every other area of our relationships. We find this word scatters throughout the entire Bible, but there's one time it comes up in the New Testament in a letter written by a man named Paul. Paul's writing to a church in Rome, and this church is a, uh, is a new church. It's growing. It's only about three, four, five years old, and, and Paul's having to write this letter because in this new church, there's a lot of infighting going on. The church is made up of followers of Jesus, but they all come from very different backgrounds, and because of their different backgrounds, they have different ideas of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what you should and shouldn't do. So Paul has to write this letter to kind of correct some of those thinkings and to help really take their, their mind off the small things that they're bickering over and focus in on the large thing, which is to love God and to love others. And throughout this letter, there's a lot of practical advice that he gives to the church in Rome. But the great thing is, it, it still applies to us today. 2,000 years later, it's still just as helpful in our relationships today. And throughout the letter, he'll, he'll rather than just address a specific thing, he'll give like a general idea as, you know, a, a statement or a verse or a phrase that kind of just is like a, an umbrella over everything he's saying. And this is one of those phrases in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 10. Timeless advice from Paul. He says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. And then we discovered this one word that we're going to focus in on this morning. Take delight in honoring each other. Paul says, take delight in honoring each other. Do you want to know how we can have emotionally healthy relationships? What the foundation of our emotional healthy relationships is? It's that we choose to honor one another. Honor one another. There are so many other words I could have chosen, so many other directions we could have gone. But I actually think if we start with just choosing to honor one another, honoring the people in our lives, everything else can be built on that. Listen to how this same verse reads in a different translation, the ESV. Uh, the title in the ESV says, The Marks of a True Christian, which this is. It says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. In this translation, uh, it says, Outdo one another. It's like a, like a competition. We're, this is healthy competitive spirit, okay? Let's compete with one another. Let's work hard to see if we can outdo one another. How? In how we honor 
one another. So what does it mean then to honor? Well, the dictionary tells us that honor means to demonstrate high respect or great esteem for someone. By honoring another, you are saying that you see great value in that person. Honor has the sense of value or price or quality. That which is valued and esteemed is honored. We see honor playing out in different parts of our society, don't we? When a judge walks into the chamber, they say, all rise, and, and as a respect of honor, as a, as a mark of respect, as honor, the courtroom, they stand up for the judge when he or she enters. They address the judge as your honor. If you're here this morning and you've served in the military in any capacity, you'll know that honor is a huge part of what it means to serve. Honor is a part of your training. Soldiers stand to attention. They salute when they meet an officer. When they do something wrong, they can be dishonorably discharged. It's a really big part of the military culture. Growing up in England, uh, I went to a, a grade school. It was a private grade school from the ages of five to 11. And um, honor and respect was a big value, a big part of the culture within this school that us kids were meant to learn and value. One of the ways we learned that was uh, in every class, the teacher would come in and the teacher would always come in after we were already in the classroom. When the teacher entered the room, we all had to stand up. We stood up when the teacher came into the room and then when he or she got to the desk and sat down, she would say, he would say, you can be seated. That was a value that was instilled in us to, to honor this teacher. We had to wear uniforms at this school. And our uniforms, I, uh, I looked for an old picture of Dave Jane, couldn't find one, you'll be uh, sad to hear, but I did find one, a recent picture of two of the students at the school I went to. Uh, as a little boy and a girl from Collingwood, the school I went to. And they still, to this day, the boys wear these caps. I had one of those caps. And we used to go to lunch every day in another building. Our school was broken up into two buildings, and we would leave our building to go to the other building for lunch. And it required leaving the school, going down the street, crossing a busy road, and then going to the other building. So the teachers would go on ahead, and when we got there, in our little crocodile line, two by two, we're all walking along, um, the teachers would get out, and they would stop the traffic both ways. And as we all crossed the road, these little five, six, seven-year-old kids with our caps, we used to do this to the drivers. We used to don our caps to the drivers as a sign of honor and respect. I know, it's like something out of Charles Dickens, like a bunch of little Oliver Twists all crossing the street. <laughs> um, I just got caught up in that memory of how weird that was. The funny thing is, despite the fact that we had these wonderful uh, values put into us, honor is something that you can be doing on the outside and still not have on the inside. I was thinking about little Dave Jane at that school. I would stand up when the teachers came in the room. I would don my cap when I was crossing the street, but I still got in trouble. I was still mischievous. There were still lessons where despite this honor value, I still would get in trouble. One of the ones I used to get in trouble the most was Mr. Kirby. Mr. Kirby was a, uh, a teacher I remember. He was a very old teacher. He probably should have retired. He had a hard time keeping control of the classroom. And one of the challenges Mr. Kirby had is he had one glass eye. So every time he was looking out at you, there was like two different directions he was kind of looking. So we would start to get out of control in the classroom. We start to misbehave and then the volume went up and, and then it's all of a sudden Mr. Kirby from the front would say, you, stand up. And two people on different sides of the classroom <laughs> would both stand up. Mr. Kirby would look around and say, why are you standing up? He's like, I thought you were looking at me. <laughs> 
We were challenged with this value of honor, but unfortunately, while we were dressed honorably, still it's a matter of the heart. It's more than just standing up with someone else. It's, it's a, an attitude of the heart. Honor is actually spoken about throughout the Bible in many different contexts. The word shows up 355 times from the very first book of the Bible all the way through to the end of the Bible. It talks about honor in different contexts, but it's always the same meaning, to lift up, to esteem, to respect, to value. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for honor is a word kavod, and the, the root word of this, this, this word kavod is weight. It carries weight, the idea when you honor someone, you, there's value to that person. The uh, biblical definition, even though it's mentioned throughout many different places in the Bible, kind of the overlying um, definition of what honor is, I came up with this phrase as a baseline definition. To honor means to esteem and treat another with respect because of who they are and what they have done. To treat others with esteem and with respect because of who they are and what they have done. And if you look at honor throughout the Bible, that's kind of the overlying view. Every time it crops up, it's, it's in the context of treating others with respect, with esteem, because of who they are and what they've done. One of the ways we see honor show up a lot in the scriptures is to, to honor God. We want emotionally healthy relationships, but I'm hoping that one of the most important relationships in your life is the relationship you have between you and Father God who loves you so much. And we hear throughout Scripture many verses talking about honoring God. In Deuteronomy 6.13, Moses, talking to the people of Israel, said, Honor the Lord your God. Worship only Him and make your promises in His name alone. All the way through to the very end of the book, Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and they exist because you created what you pleased. From the very beginning to the very end, this idea that we are to honor God for who he is. We started out this morning. Our, our time of music at the beginning, that wasn't just kind of the opening acts. That was our time to sing, to worship, to honor God. To say, God, you are worthy of our love and our devotion and our praise because you are amazing. And we choose to pause in our day and to honor you. A story is told of Queen Victoria, uh, a, a queen from where I'm from, back in England. She lived uh, a long time ago in the Victorian age, coincidentally. Um, she lived back then, and um, a story is told that she would have a Bible study with one of her servants. And um, in one particular Bible study, she asked this, this person, she said to him, when do you think Jesus will return? He says, your majesty, none of us really know for sure when Jesus will return. And she responded with this famous quote. She goes, oh, I do hope that the Lord returns during my lifetime. I should love to lay at his feet the crown of the kingdom and the empire. This is the queen of England at a time when the empire spread across the whole world. She knew the power that was represented in the crown that she wore, and yet she still knew that there was one higher than her, more worthy of honor than she was, that she would one day get to kneel down before and say, you are the king of kings, the Lord of lords. 
And when it comes to honor, the very first relationship that we, we can find in our lives to, to honor is God who loves us so much. But that's not the only time we read about honoring in the scripture. Another famous time it pops up is in the Ten Commandments. The fifth commandment says, honor your mother and father. Honor your mother and father. It's, it's one of the ten commandments, the commandments that God gave to Moses to give to the people of Israel. Uh, there are things in there like do not murder, do not lie, do not steal. You know, and these are big things. And then alongside, he also said, God, to tell Moses, to tell the people, you should honor your mother and father. And I know, right now in the room, parents are sitting here thinking, amen. Preach it, Dave. <laughs> tell my kids that. Tell them they should honor their mother and father because... Have you ever found yourself kind of looking at the kids of today? Or you've heard someone say, you know the problem with the kids of today? They don't honor their, their parents. They don't honor their elders. I came across this word that just captures the problem with the kids of today. This quote I found here. Check it out. It says, the children now love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority. They show disrespect for elders and love chatter in place of exercise. They contradict their parents and they tyrannize their teachers. Some of the parents are going, that's exactly how the kids of today are. You know who gave that quote? Check it out. Socrates. <laughs> 1,600 years ago, he was having a problem with the kids of today. <laughs> I found this in an article that was fascinating. It was just quote after quote after quote that spans 2,000 years that talked again and again about the problem with the youth of today. I'd love to read all of them to you, but there's too many. But one of my favorites was from the 1600s where uh, somebody said, youth were never more saucy, yea, never more savagely saucy. The ancient are scorned, the honorable are contemned, the magistrate is not even dreaded. That's the problem with the kids today. They're just too saucy. <laughs> no idea what that means, but next time your son or daughter misbehaves, saying, hey, stop being saucy. <laughs> it's a good word. And what amazed me about this, this article is it showed that this has been a problem throughout the ages. And here's why I think it is. And here's why I think God included this in the commandments. Because every one of us in our, in our sinful nature, in our flesh, in who we are at the very core of our beings, we have an inclination to rebel. We have this disposition to kind of go against and to disrespect we don't choose to do it, but we find ourselves drawn in that direction. And God sets this bar. He says, you should start out early. When you're, when you're a kid, you should start out honoring your mother and father because it'll pull you in the opposite direction to where your, your flesh wants to go. And if you read that commandment, it's not an age limit thing. You should honor your father and mother until you're 18 years old and then you can stop. <laughs> he doesn't set a, a, a lid on it. It's all through your life. Honor your mother and father. Honor, respect. And I think it applies to all of us, even to this day. Another time honor creeps up in uh, the scriptures is that we should honor our leaders. Honor our leaders. Every one of us, probably in some respect, whether it's through our jobs, at our schools, in our government system, we have people who lead over us. And God sets a standard in Scripture of how we should respond to those who are our leaders. Peter, one of the disciples, after Jesus' death and resurrection, like Paul, he was one of the guys who helped begin the church in the New Testament. And uh, he wrote a letter 
to the believers, the, the Christ followers scattered all around the New Testament world. And listen to what he said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. Submit yourself, for the Lord's sake, to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to command those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. Honor the emperor. Honor those who are leaders in your life. And you might say, well, Dave, that was easy for them people back then. You don't know the person I have to follow. You don't know the leader in my life. Let me tell you about the leader in the world that Peter was writing to. The leader was the Roman empress. The reason that the church was scattered all around the world is because they were under persecution simply because they followed Jesus. At best, they were put in prison. At worst, they were killed in, in horrific ways because of the pushback from this Roman Empire on this rapidly growing group of Christians. And in the midst of all this, in a place where as Christ followers gather together, they could very easily say, we need to do something. This leader is terrible. We need to, we need to, to rebel. We need to, Peter writes them and says, no, submit to your leaders. Honor your leaders. I think this truth is just as important and just as challenging for us today, whether it's your boss at work or whether it's the leaders of our nation. The truth is we can be guilty, can't we, of letting our partisan beliefs become more important than our Christian beliefs. So I want to help you just kind of wrap your head around this thought this morning because here's, here's something that's important to understand. You can honor and still disagree. You can honor and still disagree. When, when Peter's talking about this, he isn't saying that you should submit and agree with everything. There may be things about leaders that you are under, maybe leaders of this nation that you don't agree with. It doesn't line up with your values and your beliefs. And that's okay to disagree. You can even share your thoughts as long, as, in a, as long as it's in a civil and respectful way that still shows honor. Because where I struggle is where I see somebody who professes to be a follower of Jesus, and you can tell because their, their bumper sticker, you know, says, hey, I love Jesus, or some, you know, very clear bumper sticker that they are definitely followers of Jesus. But right next to that bumper sticker is a very clear idea of what they happen to think of whoever might be in charge right now. Not the most honorable. Maybe it's a Facebook post or a meme that's shared by somebody who you know is a follower of Jesus, but also they share something that's kind of derogatory, kind of offensive. I don't believe this is honoring. And Paul very clearly, sorry, Peter clearly points out in this passage that we should be living differently. Because when we do, we silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Let's not add to the ignorant talk of foolish people. This is a tough one, to honor those in authority over us. Some of us are dealing with this right now in our workplaces. But let me just throw out this thought to you. There's a, there's a fantastic um, story in the Old Testament about a man named David. This challenges me all the time. In all of my years following Jesus, there have been different people that I've had to submit to who are leaders over me. And every time I find myself going back to this story of David, You'll remember David, he was the shepherd boy who killed Goliath with a slingshot. 
He then went on to become the king of Israel. Incredible story. And what was amazing was, was as we read through the Old Testament, there was a time when David was anointed to be king. The prophet, the priest came to him and said, God says, you will be the next king of Israel. And at that time, Saul was still king. But David knew that when Saul's time comes to an end, he would be the next king of Israel. And as you read in 1 Samuel, you start to see that Saul's life towards the end just started to spiral out of control. He started to lose his mind. He started to go crazy. We read about a time when when David was in his presence and Saul picked up a spear and threw it with the intention of killing David in a fit of jealous rage. We read of another time when Saul had 85 priests, 85 of God's people killed along with their family, their children, and even their livestock. The guy was crazy. David had to flee for his life. And we read that he was traveling all over just trying to stay ahead of Saul who was pursuing him. And there's this amazing story in 1 Samuel chapter 24 where it says that um, David was hiding in a cave with a lot of the people who, who were his men, his followers. They're in the back of this cave and Saul didn't realize and he went into the cave. As he was in the cave, David could have gone up behind Saul and ended his life there and then. And I bet in his mind, David was thinking, I'm gonna be the next king. God's already said that I'm, Saul's losing it. He's going crazy. I would actually be doing God a favor if I got rid of Saul and stepped into my rightful place as the leader that I should be. His men were saying to David, do it. It's the right thing to do. You should take this guy out. But David, who had a heart after God, David, who I aspire to have that same kind of heart and character, said this in 1 Samuel 24, verses six and seven. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the King. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. That's honor. That right there is honor. It's recognizing that this leader, however bad they are, however much they differ from what you or I believe, however crazy they appear to be, they are still the person that God has put in authority. Who am I to lay a hand on the Lord's chosen one? I, instead, I choose to honor that person. I may not disagree with their behavior, Sorry, I may not agree with their behavior. I may not agree with their actions. I may not agree with what they believe or teach or stand for, but I will still choose to honor the person who God has put in leadership. Honor everyone. 1 Peter 2.17, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. It captures it right there, doesn't it, at the beginning of verse 17. Honor everyone. We've talked about honoring God, honoring our our, our elders, our mother, our father, honoring our leaders. And then just to kind of throw a net over everything, Peter says, honor everyone. We are so... My watch talks to me. <laughs> Stop listening to me. We are to honor everyone. That's what sets us apart as followers of Jesus. It's the bedrock foundation, I believe, of emotionally healthy Relationships is making a choice to honor others. And I know, I know it's hard sometimes to honor others. 
I mean, let's be honest. There's somebody in your life right now who you're thinking about who you're like, they deserve all the honor. They deserve respect. David, if you knew who they were, they're such a wonderful person. They're a leader in our community. They're wonderful parents. They're, they're great neighbors. They, it's so easy to honor that person because of who they are and all they've done. But Dave, there's also this one guy who I work with. There's this one lady in our neighborhood. She's crazy. I have to honor them as well. It's easy, isn't it, when we choose to honor someone who is worthy of honor. It's very difficult to honor someone who, in our perspective, doesn't deserve the honor. Because we talked about it, didn't we? We explained earlier that that to honor someone means to esteem and treat another with respect because of who they are and what they have done. What if who they are is not very nice? What if they've not done anything? What if what they've done isn't very good? Paul and Peter, they don't give us ways out here. They say we have to honor everyone. We can honor God with ease because of who he is and what he's done. But those ones who are hard to honor, how do we honor them, God? How do we honor them? I think this is the answer to that question. God doesn't expect us to honor all people the way we honor him. He expects us to honor all people the way he honors them. He doesn't expect us to honor all people the way, we we honor God because he is the creator of the universe. He is worthy of our honor and praise. That's not the standard that we should look for in others so that we can then honor them. No, the standard we should look for in others is how much does God honor that person? That's who I should honor too. You see, do you remember the the definition of, of honor? It's treating another respect because of who they are or what they've done, the the value that they have. All human beings are made in God's image. Therefore, all human beings are worthy of honor. He saw value in every single one of us. He put a price tag on what the value was for you and I. That price tag reads, my son, my one and only son, I'm willing to send him to die in your place. That's how much I love you. There's a great verse that says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God sent Jesus to die in our place before we'd even made the decision to follow him. That's how valuable we all are to God. He doesn't see the value in what we've done, the accomplishments we have, how good we've been, how bad we've not been while we were still sinners, when our life was still a mess God sent Jesus to die for us because he values you and me so much. That's the price tag on our lives. He loves us so much. And because we all carry that value within, when we look at one another, we should see the value that God has for us. And that's what drives us to honor that person. So a lot of you will have heard of the very famous baseball player, Babe Ruth. Uh, he was, you know, a legend in the baseball world. And one of the things that, that made him so famous was the, the home runs that he hit. In his day and age, he was so well known for these incredible home runs that he hit. And during his lifetime, during his career of baseball, he signed many things. He signed a lot of baseballs. He signed a lot of memorabilia. But he only ever signed seven bats that he'd personally used to hit a home run in a game. 
One of those bats was a, a bat he was holding when he hit a home run against the Boston Red Sox in Yankee Stadium. He signed that bat, he gave it to his agent, and on April the 18th, 1923, his agent took it to a state fair. There was a, a raffle, a lottery, where you could pay for a ticket and uh, all the money would go to charity and the winning ticket drawn gets that bat, the bat that Babe Ruth had used to hit a home run against the Boston Red Sox at a Yankee Stadium. That day, somebody won that bat and got to take it home with them. And the organizers of the event made a mistake. They forgot to ever ask this person for his name or address or contact info. So the day that bat left that state fair, that was the last time anyone ever saw it. No one had any idea where that bat had gone. Years went by. And it turns out the person who had won this bat, he kept it in his house, he kept it under his bed. He grew very old and at the end of his life, he was very sick. He'd outgrown all of his family. He was the only one left alive in his family. So right before he died, he, he gave his, his, his will. He said, I'm gonna leave all my belongings to this nurse who's cared for me in the last years of my life. She got all of this man's belongings, including this bat that he used to keep under his bed. She didn't realize what the bat was. She assumed it was just some form of home security, so she kept it under her bed. <laughs> In 1988, he died. It stayed under her bed until 2006, almost 20 years. And then she retired as a nurse and she had this dream of starting up a restaurant of her own. That had been a lifelong dream. She didn't have the money to start this restaurant, so she went through some of her personal belongings thinking maybe I could sell some things and raise enough money to buy this and to, to purchase this restaurant. She said, maybe that old bat is worth something. And she took it to a memorabilia store. The guy instantly recognized what he was looking at. One of only seven bats in existence that had been missing for years and years and years. He said, ma'am, this is a very rare and valuable bat. They put it out for auction and that bat sold for $1.3 million. <laughs> it has sat under her bed for 20 years. Go home today, look under your bed. <laughs> One of us has got something that's worth something. Here's the most amazing part, though, of that story. They interviewed her afterwards because she took the money that she'd got from the auction. She took enough money to start the restaurant, her lifelong dream. And then everything, the majority of the money after that, she donated to charity. She actually donated it to a charity that was started by Babe Ruth to help orphans in New York. People were amazed that she would give away so much of this newfound fortune that she'd received. They asked her, why would you do something like that? Here was her response. The bat was valuable, but only because Babe Ruth's name was on it. Since he made it valuable, the only reasonable thing I could do was something that would honor his life. She said, what made this stick valuable was the name on it. So to honor his name, I want to give money to something that meant a lot to him. We aren't valuable because of our net worth, because of what we do for a living, because how successful we are, because of what we do or don't do. Every one of us here this morning has value because of the name 
that is upon our heart, the image in which we are created. God's name, Jesus' name is on our heart. And he's on your spouse's heart. His name is on your friend and your colleague and that leader at work who you struggle to get along with and the president and, and all these people. He's, his name is on their hearts. That's what gives us value. And it's that value that causes us as followers of Jesus to esteem and to respect and to honor one another. So let's look for some practical ways this week to honor someone in our lives because they are incredibly valuable. And if we all try and outdo one another. Let's outdo one another in the way that we honor. Who knows? Perhaps we'll all end up winners. So let's let the honoring games begin. Jesus, we love you so much. And sometimes, Lord, the idea of honoring others is easy when we look out and think, well, they are worthy of honor because of who they are and what they've done. But then we tend to dismiss people in our lives. Relationships we have are difficult because we don't see the value in that person, so therefore we don't choose to honor them. But the reality is, Lord, God, you sent your son to die for every one of us. That's the value that we all have. So help us, God, to understand that every single person that we are in relationship with has value and is worthy of honor as a result. And God, I believe that if we would choose to honor to respect, to treat differently the people in our lives, our relationships will become stronger. It will show why it is that you're able to say that this is how they know, this is how people know that they are my disciples, by the way that they love and honor one another. In Jesus' name, amen.